following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 41 through 52, and that's on page 858 in the Pew Bibles. Um, this little passage <clears throat> is the only record in Scripture of Jesus' childhood. Like we've we've uh, we've seen him as an infant. Uh, we've gone through uh, the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and and all of that. Um, so we're going to deal instead with this little obscure um, account. If there's a lot, a lot for us to learn, um, some ideas that are theological, some that are practical, and some that are symbolical. Sounds a little bit like a three-point sermon. Sorry. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old... They went up according to custom. And when the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would guide us in the truth this morning, for your word is truth. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak. These are your words preserved for us. We pray, Lord, that through our time in your word this morning, you would make us more like Jesus. Father, we pray, make us more like Jesus. We love you and thank you in your precious and holy name. Amen. So you'll remember, uh, if you've been here for any of our studies in Luke, uh, Luke put together this orderly account after following all these things closely. That's what he says in chapter one, um, that the recipients of his gospel account would have certainty about the things that they had been taught. Now, in the course of Luke's investigation into the life and ministry of Jesus, he um, 
had the wonderful blessing of interviewing eyewitnesses, talking to people who were there. And one of those people who was most likely Mary, his mother. Um, So it's interesting to me that this is the only account of Jesus' childhood um, that the Holy Spirit prompted Luke to include in his Gospels. Uh, in his gospel, even though there <clears throat> there are lots of false gospels out there, you can find them in the bookstore uh, that will tell you all kinds of fairy tales about Jesus as a kid. Like um, my one of my personal favorites is um, when uh, uh, Jesus is working with Joseph in the wood shop. Right. Um, I'm a woodworker, so I love this. Um, it, and again, this is a fairy tale. This is not true. Um, but the story goes that um, there was a board that was too short for whatever project that they were building. And Joseph says, what are we going to do? This board is too short. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it, Dad. And stretched the board and made the board the right size. Um, you know, as a woodworker, I can say having a kid like that would be really handy. Um, but either way, that's, it's fantasy. Um, it's, that's not the truth. Luke's record that we have here is the truth. And what we have is a brief glimpse, but it is powerful nonetheless. And it's the only one that we need because we know that because it's the one that we've been given. So the first layer of this little account of Jesus' childhood is theological. Um, did you know that you are theologians? I refer to scholars a lot, but I don't call them theologians because they are not a separate class of people. You are theologians. They make you feel good? Well, I'm a word nerd, right? So I want to know theology is simply the study of God. It's from two words, theo which means God, and ology, which is the study of something. So theology is the study of God. All you need to do is think for a minute about the Lord, and you are qualified to be a theologian. Right? You don't have to have your doctorate to be a theologian. We can all be theologians together. And so the theological layer of this account really deals with the humanity of Jesus. And I don't think that most Christians struggle with the divinity of Jesus, right? The fact that Jesus is God. He is fully God, completely God, nothing missing, right? We get that. But I think sometimes we struggle with the idea that Jesus is also, at the same time, fully man, fully human. He knows everything that it is to be a human because he did it. Now, the difference between him and us is he doesn't have sin. He didn't sin, right? We didn't get out of the house this morning without sin, okay? You don't have to tell me this story. (laughs) Jesus, this is... Just thinking about this this week, this was kind of crazy for me to think about. Jesus was not always fully human. 
Think about that for a minute. Right. Jesus has always, always, always been fully God. Right. There he has no beginning. He just has always been fully God. But he put on flesh and dwelt among us. That's what John chapter one said. The word put on flesh. He had to be fully man in order to take our sins upon himself on the cross, in order to pay the penalty for our sin. He took on the sacrifice. uh, he, He took on the penalty that wasn't his. It was ours. And he had to be fully man in order to do that. But praise God, he is also fully God. And so death had no power over him and he did not stay dead. But he will always now forever be also fully man. All right, this is this is theology, right? Here in our text, we see the boy Jesus, fully God and fully man. The next layer of this account is a little more practical. We'll call it practical. I'm not sure that's the right word for it, but it's the word I wrote down. So we're going to go with it. Verse 41 says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, just a little bit of background here. Uh, It was only required by the law for men to go to Jerusalem for Passover. There were three feasts a year and And the men were required to go to Jerusalem for the feast, right? And if they couldn't afford to go to the other two, Passover was the one they chose. Um, The women and the children were not required to go. The blind and the lame, the infirm, the elderly were not required to go. Women and children and, and those folks were allowed to go. They weren't turned away or anything, but they were not required by the law uh, to go up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, I just, uh, here's a freebie. Uh, go up to Jerusalem and go down to Nazareth, right? Use these expressions. Scripture uses these expressions. Now, if you're a, if you're a map person, uh, Nazareth is north of Jerusalem. Now, when you're going to Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, are you going down? No, you're going up, right? North is up, right? No. This map is different. Jerusalem is not only higher in elevation than Nazareth, it is higher in spiritual significance. And so to go up to Jerusalem, it's, it's more than just north. I mean, you're going to a higher place. <laughs> Which, right? But that's, it was just treated with higher honor because Jerusalem is the spiritual center of the world, and it still is, right? So... Going up to Jerusalem meant more than going north or south or up in elevation. They go up to Jerusalem. Do whatever you want with that. So when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to custom. Now, like I said before, this very well could have been Mary's recollection of these events. Remember that time, right, when Jesus was 12? And we went to Jerusalem for Passover. Let me, oh, you've got to hear this story, right? 
They went up according to custom. Now stop there. Whose custom? The law required men to go to Jerusalem for Passover. It didn't require the children. It didn't require the women. It didn't require uh, the infirm or the elderly. But they went up according to custom. Whose custom? Their custom. This was their family tradition. They went up to Jerusalem for Passover according to their custom. I think there's a lot of strength in that statement. They didn't go up according to the law. They went up according to their custom. All right, Christmas time, you put up a Christmas tree according to your custom, right? Or maybe you don't, according to your custom. It's not required by the law, right? We, we, we talk about uh, shepherds and angels and stuff like that in December and also in March, April, and May, this year anyway. According to our custom, we're not required to do that. So Mary and Joseph take Jesus up to Jerusalem according to their custom. Joseph and Mary were teaching their child the way that he should go so that in his old age he would not depart from it, right? That's, that's scripture. That's, that, they were taking their responsibility to raise their son according to the law and according to the, to the traditions of faith. They took that seriously, even though they didn't have to. And I think that the Holy Spirit prompted Luke to include this account to remind us of the strength of family when it comes to faith, when it comes to our faith, the strength of family customs and traditions in supporting our faith. To me, that's intensely practical. Because, I mean, faith is a big deal in our family, right? Faith is obviously a big deal in our church family. But how you live that out in, in your family life outside of this building, separated from this group, those traditions can be incredibly helpful in our, in, in our children's growth, in our growth as disciples, right? But there is also a huge bad parenting moment included in this account. So after all, Mary and Joseph were not perfect, and you can't win them all. So look at verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the church and Sunday school and stuff, we talk about flannel graph, right? I remember this picture from the flannel graph. And you see there's Jesus and, and some teachers, and they're kind of sitting around, you know, and what you don't see in the flannel graph picture is Mary's face. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't translate that well. 
Now, before we get too down on Mary and Joseph for leaving their baby behind in a car seat, we have to remember a few things. <laughs> I'm not telling any more of that story. First of all, we need to recognize what Luke calls the group, the group in verse 44. This is most likely their entire village, right? This, this is everybody from town went to Jerusalem for this feast, right? Every, you know, at least all the men and the boys, right? Um, this would have been their family, their friends, their neighbors, all walking together. And when uh, this group uh, moves along to Jerusalem, it, it was traditional for the women and children to go first and for the men and the older boys to follow. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about potentially a thousand people walking in this group, right? Or at least hundreds of people with all the women and the children up in the front and the men and some of the older boys, you know, trying to play man uh, in the back walking along. Um, so Jesus is 12 years old. He could, he's like in that, you know, age where you're like, your, your feet are in both worlds, right? He could have been up there with the women and the children because he's only 12. He could have been back there with the men and the older boys because he's 12 after all, right? I mean... So Joseph most likely thought he was with Mary up there in the front with the kids. Mary most likely thought he's back there with Joseph and the older boys. He's got to be here somewhere. No, he wasn't. But at the end of the day's journey, right, just walking in the group, they tried to find him. Um, I would imagine as they're setting up camp uh, for the night, And they realized that he wasn't there. He wasn't with them. He wasn't with anybody they knew. And they decided to go back to Jerusalem to search for him. They traveled back to Jerusalem the next day and found him in the temple on the third day, sitting amongst the teachers. So I don't want you to read this account and say, so they traveled the day's journey, realized he wasn't there, immediately went back to Jerusalem. That's not how it works. Uh, they stayed where they were, stayed the night, next morning, go back to Jerusalem. They didn't search Jerusalem for three days, right? Jerusalem is a big city, not that big uh, at the time, and it was all walled in. I mean, like all the people are in one spot, right? They traveled back and found him on the third day in the temple. So the whole, this whole account takes three days. Sometimes the strongest lessons we can learn are lessons uh, of what not to do. Um, well, keep an eye on your kids. Seems, seems easy. Very practical. Even though this might not have been the best example um, uh, of parenting, establishing family faith customs is a great example. This was their custom as a family. And even what Jesus was doing when they found him in Jerusalem is a great example. What's he doing? He's not, you know, throwing rocks at people. He's not poking camels with a stick. He's sitting with the teachers in the temple courts, listening to them and asking them questions. 
This is a great example. It was not typical for a 12-year-old to be sitting with this group in the temple courts. This wasn't, this wasn't a place for kids. This, was, this is the doctors, right? This is the theologians. But as we all know, Jesus was not a typical 12-year-old. But he did give us a great example of seeking wisdom from teachers. I think there's a lot to be learned there. By 12 years old, Jesus would have been taught the law and the prophets already. He would have had vast uh, chunks of the Old Testament memorized, right? That's the tradition. That's what 12-year-old boys did. They were taught the Torah till they could recite it. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Memorizing those things. But he still sought out this group of teachers, teachers of the law, to listen to them and ask questions of them. Because just knowing what the words are only gets you so far. Knowing what the meaning is, that's, that's where the real teaching happens, right? This is a great example for us to follow. We read the word, know the word, memorize the word, yes. Now, what does it mean? Chew on that. Find other people that are chewing on that. Listen, ask questions, talk to them, right? That's... We don't have to go to Jerusalem to do this, right? We don't have to go anywhere with the one click, right? One tap. There are teachers of the word of God from all over the world. From as long as there have been recording devices, that teaching is available to us. It's not all good, but there's plenty of it that is. Plenty of teachers that are good. There is strength in gathering in person, seeing face-to-face and asking questions and talking about these things, listening to the teaching of God's word and asking questions. But it is all available to us. If you want some good recommendations for uh, sermons to listen to, teachers to listen to, I'd be happy to share some with you. Most of the guys that I listen to are dead because I trust them because they're not trying to sell me a book. So as as you can imagine, Mary and Joseph were less than impressed uh, when they found Jesus in the temple. But this wasn't an act of rebellion on Jesus' part. That would have violated the fifth commandment, to honor your mother and father. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem intentionally for us, to teach us. Verse 46 says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Mild. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Mild. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew and developed like any other boy only without the hindrance of sin, 
He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But his answer to Mary, when they found him in the temple, after not knowing where he was for three days, I find myself in the same spot as Mary and Joseph. What it says in verse 50, they did not understanding, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Me neither. Why were you looking for me? Hello? You're 12 and you've been gone for three days? Like we left town and you didn't leave with us? Why were you looking for me? I still don't understand that. I'm not going to pretend to. But Mary gives us a great example of what to do with the sayings of Jesus that we don't understand. What did she do? She treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them. She thought about the things that Jesus said. She knows, she knows in this moment that Jesus is not just some regular kid. She knows that he is Messiah. She doesn't know exactly how that's all going to unfold. But she knows this kid is special. This kid is different. He is not just some regular boy. This is the son of God. She knows that. But exactly how that all fleshes out is still unfolding right before her eyes. She didn't brush off the things that he said as insignificant. She held on to them like treasure in her heart. But when Jesus went back with them down to Nazareth, he submitted to them as he should. He gave all kids everywhere for all times an example to follow. He submitted to his parents. Okay, kids? Especially that one? He submitted to his parents. He was obedient to his parents. And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, the last layer of this account is spiritual. We're faced with the theological in Jesus being both fully God and fully man and the wonder that comes along with that. And we're, we're, we're faced with the practical of, of sitting with teachers to learn and ask questions, keeping track of your kids, right? Submitting to our parents, all lots of practical things. But there's a spiritual lesson for us here as well. I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. And I can tell you that so often I seek Jesus the same way that his parents did. Just assuming that he's just floating along with me doing whatever it is that I'm doing. He's just, you know, he's right there with my expectations and my choices about life. Like I'm just kind of carrying a, like hauling a helium balloon on a string. It's just kind of right behind me. And when I, when I, when I want to look at the balloon, I can just stop and look at it. 
the truth is, Jesus is doing exactly what his first recorded words in Scripture in Luke's Gospel say. He says, I must be about my father's business. Our our English Standard Version says I must be in my father's house. Well, that's that's not the best translation. It, it's more accurately, I must be about my father's business. I must be doing the things that my father wants. In verse 48, Mary tells Jesus that she and Joseph had been seeking him in great distress, great sorrow. And in doing so, gave us another great example. When we find ourselves in a place where Jesus is not, we have the choice. In our sorrow, we can sit, or in our sorrow, we can seek. Mary and Joseph decided to seek in their sorrow and found Jesus about his father's business. You know, you've heard the expression before, if you, if you ever feel far from God, guess who moved? You know, it's you. Okay? Very nice bumper sticker. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He promised us that. But there are plenty of times in my life where I don't feel like he's right there or I can't see him, or I can't hear him. We've all heard the words of Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to fail you, plans to give you hope in a future. Right? We put that on our calendars and coffee mugs to remind us. But read on two verses. In Jeremiah 29, 13, says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Some 20 years later in Jesus' life on the shore of Galilee, in John chapter 6, Jesus explained what he meant by being about his father's business. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. You're searching for God's will, right? We all are, right? All the time. God, what's your will? This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. Are you ready? That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. Everything else is just details. Everyone who believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, Lord, what job should I take? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, 
Lord, what, what, you know, what school should I go to? Yeah, but Lord, what, a, what job should I take? Where should I live? What should I name my kid? The will of the Lord is that anyone who believes in him shall have eternal life, will be raised up on the last day. When we seek him, we will find him. When we seek him with all our hearts, all that other stuff is just will fall into line, like it or not. Keep it simple. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would interpret this word to each individual heart. You have, uh, you have the power to do that. Lord, I don't trust my words, but I do trust yours. And I pray that your spirit would interpret it. Help us, Lord, to apply the truth from your word. To understand the theology and put to work the, the practical and apply the spiritual. So that we could grow to be more like Jesus. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.